Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry and with me is the darling of Twitter, also known as our transfer guru, Duncan Castles. Pack pod for you today. We're going to be talking news on Tottenham Hotspur, Crystal Palace, Everton, also Manchester United, Borussia Dortmund, Brighton Hove Albion and a tiny little bit of England given the tournament starts this weekend. Duncan, we're going to start with the not so straightforward appointment of a new Spurs manager and indeed a new sporting director. Now, we know the names of both, but what people out there probably don't know is exactly how complex this deal became and how quickly it was done in the circumstances. Yeah, Paolo Fonseca, I'm told that deal is done, um, done very rapidly. Uh, According to people close to Fonseca, the initial um, serious contact from Tottenham Hotspur's side came on Monday. The deal was concluded on Wednesday when Fonseca flew from Sardinia to Roma um, to finish up the the terms of that contract with uh, Tottenham's incoming, well, we don't know whether he's going to be general manager, director of football, sports director, but the the man who has been put in charge of football operations and apparently have everything delegated to him. If you listen to some people at at Tottenham by Daniel Levy, who will only come in and work on financial sides. Um, Again, according to Tottenham, something that's always been the case. But Fabio Paratici has agreed and will be named um, as the the man in charge of the football department at Tottenham. The hold-up, I'm told, on Fonseca being announced is because... Tottenham want to announce Paratici's appointment before or simultaneous with the the appointment of a manager. But both of those are, I'm told, now concluded. It's very much uh, a marriage of convenience, Paolo Fonseca. Um, Tottenham have managed to get themselves in a position where they've gone through an array of candidates. Um, Julian Nagelsmann way back months ago being offered to them and and the preferred uh, figure to replace Josie Mourinho when the when the decision was made to sack Mourinho before the League Cup final, um, then went to Bayern Munich because Hansi Flick decided to leave Bayern and take on a job with the German national team. They tried to get Maurizio Pochettino back. Um, Pochettino was simultaneously trying to get out of Paris Saint-Germain to Real Madrid. Um, Real Madrid were interested in that. Pochettino told them he could get out at low cost. Paris Saint-Germain extended his contract, took up an option in his contract to ensure that couldn't happen at low cost. And um, they then moved on to other candidates. Um, Antonio Conte, a kind of embarrassing um, public flirtation with Conte in which uh, we were at a point where, where a lot of people were reporting that the deal was about to be done. Actually, there were significant differences between them. Conte wasn't happy with salary, he wasn't happy with uh, the quality of players and the budget that was going to be allocated to him uh, to uh, to try and turn Tottenham back into contenders at the top of the Premier League and in the, and eventually, if he could get them back into the Champions League again, he would have been Paratici's first choice. That one fell through. Conte's preference to try and get the Paris Saint-Germain job. Um, they also... 
I have on um, on a very good source um, went a long way down the line with Julian Lopetegui, the Sofia coach, had agreed terms to release him from his contract. So he has a five million euro release clause at the Spanish club, which they were prepared to pay, had agreed terms on a contract. Then for personal reasons um, related uh, to family matters and, and because of changes um, brought about on movement of, of individuals because of Brexit, Lopetegui pulled out of that deal, is my understanding. And Tottenham then eventually went for Fonseca, who ironically is the manager who was sacked by Roma to make room for Jose Mourinho, the manager sacked by Tottenham, uh, to put this whole process into effect. First of all, Fabio Partici, I think, is going to get a shock because he'll find out that head of all football operations means getting Daniel Levy's coffee. Um, second thing is that this has been this will be a big gamble for Levy, uh, both um, the fans and the media know that Fonseca was not first choice. If it does not go well, he could find himself having to sack the manager within quite a short space of time and the process begins all over again. I wouldn't be surprised, Duncan, if Paradici's first job is to identify the next manager of Tottenham Hotspur, just in case of that eventuality. <laughs> I Look, I think he's got a lot of work to do in the transfer market and there's some big decisions to be made there most notably over Harry Kane, who wants to leave, has publicly stated he wants to leave, is wanted by Manchester United, who have, uh, as you reported in the podcast a couple of weeks ago now, have already begun working on contract and with Kane and ways they can assist um, should he be forced to request a, a transfer. Um, wanted by Manchester City, my understanding is there has already been an offer put in by Manchester City for Kane, Chelsea would like him, although they, they are pragmatic and realise it would be very hard to, to do a deal across the city um, to bring Kane there. But if Levy and his new role just uh, deciding on the finances um, decides that it makes sense to sell Kane, um, there will be a lot of work to do to spend that money. Um, Look, I think it's interesting they've gone for Fonseca. Talking to people in Italy, they tell me that the relationship between Baratici and Fonseca is not a particularly close one and, and is very much a, a marriage of convenience for him because he had to get someone in um, uh, to get uh, the process of, of, of starting for next season going. He's not a bad coach. He, um, he has done well in, in individual games in the Champions League. He had a very good record at Shakhtar Donetsk winning the Ukrainian League. Um, three times, although with the most powerful squad there, but built a team that played good football. I think with Roma, he built a team that uh, were able to score a lot of goals. So I think he fits one side of what Levy was talking about in terms of going back to um, Tottenham's atta attacking identity. Um, but let's not, you know, let's not butter this up. He's cheap. Um, he his, his salary at Roma, I understand, was €3 million Euros net, so considerably less than the, the €12 million net that Antonio Conte was on at Inter and expected to get at Tottenham. And he's also a coach who will work with what he is given. He's not a guy who has a history of causing trouble and, and being over-demanding, again, in, in stark contrast to Antonio Conte and obviously in, in contrast to Jose Mourinho. 
On to Duncan, what I think we could accurately call the Nuno Espirito Santo Cecil, <laughs> the man who the man is on what one side of a job and then the other, and then he switches sides and he's on that job and he's on the other side. Um, where does he stand now? Because it appears that Crystal Palace is, well, he's dead to Crystal Palace now after the way in which he pulled out of contract negotiations. Everton are still interested. Um, but again, uh, you have information with regards to what's been happening behind the scenes and indeed the difficulty there's been with contracts. Yeah, we, we talked about this on Wednesday's podcast and Nuno was approached very early by Everton and told he was first choice for the job and has spoken to them extensively. Um, he was also approached early by Crystal Palace and Crystal Palace was not going to be his first choice, his personal first choice for obvious reasons. It's a at best a sideways step, but actually a drop down, I think, realistically on what he'd been doing at Wolves and what he'd been achieving at Wolves. And I think his perspective, my guidance on it was if he went to Crystal Palace, he could go and prove his qualities as a coach again and build up and get offered a, a better job down the line. Um, those discussions were with Everton came in the midst of what we've described as a big internal dispute um, at Everton. Um, you have different camps in the in the boardroom. You have Bill Kenwright, who's been trying to get David Moyes, who has been pushing Roberto Martinez. I understand is now um, has favourable words for uh, the idea of bringing Rafael Benitez back to Merseyside and, and putting him in the in the Everton dugout. You have Farhad Mashiri, who is the titular head of the club and owner of the club, but actually Alishar Usmanov has the uh, the majority stake in that club. Um, you have Kia Jirabshin as an advisor um, to both of them. You have Marcel Brands who, as director of football, who in principle should have the, the the one of the most important says at least and, and who the manager should be, but doesn't seem to be working that way. So these conversations that Nuno was having with Everton, he's been told he was first choice, waiting for a contract to be delivered to him. It didn't come. So then went into serious contract negotiations with Crystal Palace, told he was very impressed with Steve Parrish and impressed with um, how they acted as a club and, and their desire to hire him. By the beginning of this week, um, there was a contract on the table uh, from Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace expected that deal to be signed. Nuno stepped away because Everton continued to phone him and tell him, no, come to Everton instead. We want you as manager. And that, uh, that put enough doubt in his mind to say no when the contract was presented to Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace then said, we are out. They briefed the media that they are no longer interested in Nuno and are looking at other candidates. Um, my understanding from Nuno's side is he, he thinks that's correct and he's, he's, he, Crystal Palace is finished as the option for him. And he is waiting for Everton to come up with a formal contract offer. Expectation is, given what Everton have said to him, that he will be next manager. But until the offer is there and the contract is signed, Obviously, that is not guaranteed. It's an intriguing prospect. Rafa Benitez crossing Stanley Park to be Everton manager. I see a vox pop with Liverpool and Everton fans asking them their opinion. And almost to a person who are against it, either because uh, they were a Liverpool fan 
and believed that Benitez would never betray his legacy and Everton fans because he was Liverpool manager. Well, I think people who don't know should know that Rafa uh, likes a likes a buck, and if he's not earning, he's not happy, and so it's the reverse of the Beatles song: "Love can't buy me money." On to the one of the longest-running sagas of the last year and more: uh, the transfer of Jadon Sancho to Manchester United. Duncan told you on the earlier week pod that uh, United were looking at a strategy of buying either a point striker uh, to um, interchange with Edson Cavani or an attacking midfielder who gets goals, which you could definitely describe Jadon Sancho as, who could play off the right, but also, um, if need be, could play centrally. And obviously you have the other option of Mason Greenwood being a long-term central striker as well. Duncan, there is an update on this, and I'm sure Manchester United fans are desperate to hear what you're going to tell them. Yeah, look, it, it, it came out yesterday that um, an offer has been, been made to Borussia Dortmund um, similar to last summer. It is not satisfactory. Um, Dortmund aren't happy with it. Um, similar to last summer, Manchester United think they can get the player at a discount on the asking price Dortmund have. They have agreed terms with the player um, as they had last summer and uh, agents commissioned. So that side of the deal is in place. Um, they are trying to get him at uh, at a discount again. Uh, the brief from Dortmund is that they want 95 million euros as, a, as an asking price for Sancho. Um, also that they will allow the player to leave if that deal is done quickly enough. Um, again, the brief is before the start of their uh, pre-season um, and the money is acceptable to them. They'll let the player leave. Um, but that's pretty much where we were last summer. I think Manchester United, their offer is 78 million euros. Um, so you're looking at uh, 2 million down on 80, which would be something that you, you could see Manchester United saying, well, look, look what we did. We managed to get a massive discount on the on the 120 million asking price. Haven't we done well? But if you if you break it down um, and say the price last summer was 120 million euros um, and he had three years left on his contract, if the price only comes down to 80 million euros, that's exactly what you'd expect by dividing the price and the, the years of the contract. You know, two thirds of the, the value in last year would be 80 million. Um, so even if they manage to get it there, all they've done is, is what you'd expect the discount to be. Um, and Dortmund are pushing hard um, to get the money they want. So I don't think this is straightforward. And I, and I don't think it's straightforward because of that strategy United have, which we explained on the last podcast, which is they're flexible here. They want an elite forward. Um, they are prepared to go right side of attack and move Mason Greenwood in to be to share the centre forward position with Edson Cavani next season. If they can't go right side of attack, then they'll go centre forward, um, share the position with Cavani, leave Greenwood on the right wing, uh, sharing it with Ahmad Giallo and uh, Daniel James. Um, they are looking at other players. We, we told you that they have been offered Cristiano Ronaldo. They have been interested in that offer. There's a suggestion, a proposal that 
Um, Pogba be rolled into that deal. Uh, we have Pogba this week saying that he has had no concrete proposal from the club for an extension of his contract. So you have one year left in his deal. Max Allegri at Juventus likes Pogba. They've always had a good relationship. I'm told he'd take him back. So there's, there's the possibility to do something there. There's Harry Kane. Um, as we've already said in this podcast, they've done preliminary work on, on that deal. There is Usman Dembele, who they turned to when the Sancho deal fell apart at the end of the last transfer window and made a number of bids and extensive negotiations with Barcelona. Something that they had in play from early in the window, something that we reported to here first in the podcast. They're not working in the same way with Dembele this summer, um, but they have asked to be kept informed on what Dembele does and if he becomes available. So that, that's kind of a, you know, a backup option that they've done a little bit of work on. And um, Dembele's strategy, I can tell you for this summer, is such that that could become a feasible one because Dembele has one year left at Barcelona. Barcelona have tried to extend his contract a number of times. He said no, um, only for huge amounts of, of, of money will I, will I do a new deal, which hasn't been acceptable to Barcelona. He feels that if he allows this window to run down to the final days and they do not have a serious offer for him. He can go to Barcelona and say, look, sell me for, let's say, 50 million euros um, now to get a little bit of cash in and get my wages off the book or be stuck with me for another season um, paying those wages and I will leave for free in a, in a year's time. So Manchester United will be aware of that and they're aware of other options. Um, should also add in, uh, something we told you before, which was Anthony Martial, is, is to be sacrificed um, should they get this new forward in. Um, Solskjaer is tired of his attitude and, and hasn't been impressed with his, um, with his goal production uh, and general knitting into the team this season. Uh, he has been offered to Real Madrid um, as, a, as an option for them in attack. Um, and he's also being offered as a season loan, a high value season loan with a with a loan fee and an option to buy so that Martial is trying to find himself, Martial's agent is trying to find himself another destination this summer. And, and I think he's an interesting one to watch through the summer to see who is prepared to bite on a player with a massive amount of potential and an ability to score goals, but he's never put it together on a consistent basis when you can get him relatively cheap in terms of transfer cost, loan fee cost, albeit expensive in terms of wages. As if that's not enough information on Manchester United transfer plans. They face competition from, uh, for Erling Haaland from Chelsea, who have already opened talks with Borussia Dortmund about the striker. And it's my information that Chelsea are willing to use Tammy Abraham as part of that deal, therefore therefore reducing the cost of Haaland's transfer. Um, Abraham, they value around £40 million, pounds, around €48 million. Euros. And also, they have set a limit on what they will pay for Haaland, a very strict limit, because they know uh, of the history of uh, Haaland's agent, Mina Raiola, and his dad, Alfinger Haaland, and their ability to um, get as much money as possible in the commission. At the moment, they're asking for 40 million euros, so a split of 20 each. 
Now, Chelsea are not balking necessarily at paying that, but only if they can get the price for Haaland down to around 60 or less than that, um, with Tammy Abraham in the uh, mix as well. And, of course, remember two things here. Uh, uh, Abraham wants first-team football. If Haaland leaves, he will most likely become the number one striker. Secondly, uh, Dortmund have got a policy and a history of taking young strikers who've not quite hit the heights yet. Oh, look, Erling Haaland's one of them. And bringing them through and selling them at vast profit. So that would suit the Dortmund model as well. So watch out for that one because, of course, as we know, Haaland is the most in-demand player in Europe, most likely, this summer. So with Manchester United and Chelsea chasing him, um, Tammy Abraham could hold the key if they can persuade him to leave. My understanding is that Abraham's very much a homeboy, would prefer to stay in England, however. Jude Bellingham's at Dortmund, Sancho if he stays. So he would have comrades from his own country there, which would make the transition easier. And as I said, his priority is to play first-team football. Duncan, another one of the most sought-after players in this summer window, who has just been called up into the full England squad despite playing only one full season in the Premier League, is Brighton Hove Albion centre-back Ben White. Uh, seems to be a clamour for him, um, understandable given um, his consistency of performance, uh, his character, very level-headed, uh, intelligent, articulate kid, um, and also with a resale value. What are you hearing about these potential suitors and the possible consequences uh, for the, any club that might manage to prize him for Brighton? Yeah, look, White's, he's English, which is always a plus. He's young, uh, 23. He's quick and he's comfortable on the ball. So he's got a lot of those characteristics that, that most clubs are looking for in centre-backs at the moment. Um, a lot of interest in him. I, I'm told that the, the clubs who are, are showing the most interest at present are Arsenal, Leeds United, who he played for on loan and who tried to sign him uh, last summer unsuccessfully, and Leicester City. Um, there is also interest, not as strong, I'm told, from Manchester United, who we know are looking for a centre-back. Um, how much money they're able to put towards a centre-back will depend on how much they have to spend on that forward and also, as we keep telling you, um, how much the Glazers feel they need to have to spend and how much they have to feel they feel they need to have to bring in to appease their supporters over this summer. And also degree of interest from Paris Saint-Germain. So, I mean, that gives you a, a spread of, of the clubs. Liverpool had been in contact uh, with White before they did the deal for Ibrahim Konate to come in as, as their uh, additional centre-back this summer. Um, it's going to be very expensive to do this. Uh, the the Brighton and Hove Albion are in a position of strength, having a contract till 2024. Um, they had been talking uh, of a figure of £50 million plus for White. I think White being called up for uh, the England's national team for the Euros um, has the potential to further increase that asking price, particularly if he plays a significant number of games and does well for England. And uh, I understand that he is, um, has this uh, more than a, a small possibility of doing that, 
he's uh, talked to Gareth Southgate, asked him whether he was coming into the squad just to make up the numbers. Remember, it's a 26-man squad for this tournament because additional players are allowed to help the clubs cope with COVID. Uh, and Southgate's reply was, no, um, you're here and you might find yourself uh, operating in a in a three-man defence given the injury issues we have. So there is a potential for him to play and, uh, and to increase his value still. I find it difficult to see any of Arsenal, Leeds or Leicester City being able to uh, to put a fee of over £50 million together for a centre-back in, in this window. Um, I think Brighton's owner would prefer to keep White for another season if he can. He also has Ibusuma um, on the books on uh, a shorter contract with interest from uh, major clubs in the Premier League, including Arsenal again and Liverpool. Um, and uh, and I think the Brighton are more likely to sell Busuma this summer um, and use that money uh, to hold on to players like Ben White. Um, and uh, unless a very significant offer comes in um, at above a level that uh, Brighton will have to say yes to because the player says this is such a good opportunity for me, um, I'd like you to allow me to sh- shift to that new club. Well, speaking of the England squad, I'm sure you've all heard little rumours about how players tap up other players, say, come to my club, it's great there. And maybe you're sceptical about it, maybe you're not. Well, Duncan and I have both been around numerous England squads, more than we care to remember. Spoken to players, spoken to coaches, spoken to kit men, and we can assure you that's exactly what happens when they're all together for six weeks. There's a lot of uh, ribbing, a, a lot of cajoling, uh, different players taking the mick out of the players who are on the, on the way out or who are the subject of interest in bids because those guys want to get the information and see who's coming to their club if it's their club that's interested in that particular player. It is our information that uh, Jack Grealish has been uh, the most talked about. He's been asked mostly about Manchester City and interestingly has not denied either that he expects to leave or that his destination is Manchester City. So take from that what you will. Um, certainly the England players have taken it from, from what they will and uh, I'm sure it won't be long before his new nickname is Sky Blue. <laughs> Duncan broke the story about Ruben Nevis being available from Wolverhampton Wanderers uh, some time ago. Duncan, um, has there been progress on that? Wolves are still waiting for a formal offer from Arsenal um, for Ruben Neves. We told you uh, earlier this week that Arsenal had targeted uh, Neves as a replacement for Granite Jack in their midfield. Um, my information is that they're waiting to sell Jacka um, before making that formal offer to Wolves. Wolves expect it to come in. Jacka hopes to go to Roma and to become a central point of Josie Mourinho's midfield there. Arsenal happy to let him go. Um, negotiations over the final price at the moment in terms of getting a bit of the cash that will be required um, to try and get Neves out of Wolves and, and upgrade that uh, Arsenal midfield. An interesting choice for Josie Mourinho, although Granit Xhaka likes to think of himself as a warrior and certainly we know Mourinho likes a warrior in his central midfield. 
Onto this week's donkey, and we're going to make this the Gareth Southgate Award for Sartorial Disaster. Any of you who saw the two England-friendly warm-up matches will have saw Gareth apparently forgetting to get out of his pyjamas, but putting his suit on over the top. Uh, that shirt, uh, if indeed it was that, because it looked like a pair of nice blue satin with a nice white trim, uh, certainly attracted a lot of interest and not a lot of praise. Just open the uh, famous envelope here, Duncan, and see who we've got for you to decide upon. Oh, quite a simple one this week. Okay, nomination number one. Um, for a man who lived so close to Savile Row, Maurizio Sarri never seemed to find his way there. Um, and legend has it that he was walking in Fulham Palace Road one day uh, with uh, his Chelsea tracksuit on and a cigarette in his mouth when he walked past what was a, a, a driverless black cab uh, a member of the public said to him, uh, you, are you free, Gov? <laughs> and I'd just love, love it if Mercy said, yes, okay, in. <laughs> and took him wherever he went to go, wanted to go. Our second nomination is the man who thinks he's a better coach than anyone else does, and that's Tim Sherwood and his time at Spurs, which was uh, probably more famous for his gilet, uh, the French uh, term for a sleeveless top, which is waterproof, you'll all remember. The gilet, it's certainly a big talking point. And, uh, of course, it didn't bring him much luck. And last but not least, the Manchester City tap-dancing troupe of 2018. Why did I call them that? Well, the whole squad were pictured wearing black T-shirts, black shorts, long socks and formal wedding shoes. Maybe they were going to a wedding, Duncan, I don't know, and they all decided to dress the same. Up to you. Uh, who, do, who are you going to award the, the donkey to? I'm going to I'm going to put uh, Tim Sherwood's Gilly in the bin uh, alongside his managerial career. Exclude that one. I like I like the idea of uh, Maurizio Sarri as a taxi driver, and you know maybe it'll come to pass after he's uh, after his next um, couple of attempts at uh, at winning um, in Italian football. But uh, I think if you've seen the picture of that Manchester City um, outfit travel outfit. Um, you'll realise whether they have to win this one, and and just a a little uh, shout out to the Manchester City fan who who went on social media um, after seeing a picture of that kit and said they forgot their PE trainers, so had to do it in their school shoes. <laughs> nice one. This has been the news before it becomes news. If you've liked what you heard, then please go onto iTunes, give us a five star review. Contact us through our social media channels at Transfer Podcast. Duncan's on at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. We'll be back next week with more news before it becomes news. Until then, stay safe, be well, enjoy the Euros, and thanks for listening.